This is America on the Road, named best radio show by the International Automotive Media Conference, and now in its 29th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. It's game on in the mid-sized truck segment with all, the all-new Toyota Tacoma getting ready to do battle with an all-new Ford Ranger, all-new Chevrolet Colorado, all-new GMC Canyon. I'll tell you how they all stack up. I mean, it's an exciting time for mid-sized trucks. That's for certain. America on the Road is brought to you by DrivingToday.com, YourTestDriver.com, EMLancy.com, the publisher of my latest book, Dance in the Dark, and Mercury Insurance. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at DrivingToday.com slash auto insurance. That's DrivingToday.com slash auto hyphen insurance. Don't type out hyphen. Put a hyphen in there, little hyphen thing. A new consumer survey shows that many American car buyers want electric vehicles, but there's one big hang-up that prevents many of them from buying one. We'll tell you what that is and more on that survey coming up. BMW might make a production vehicle out of a recent concept car that caused a lot of buzz, particularly, I think, among auto journalists. We'll talk about that and the auto journalist's strange fascination with that particular type of car. We'll give you details on that. And Stellantis is recalling a lot of vehicles because of a fire risk. Maybe that's of more immediate attention. Uh, more on that later. I am Jack Nerad. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris, welcome. Uh, I think you have pets in the room with you, and it's probably a cool thing, right? Uh, what's the latest uh, in your household? I do have pets in the room with me, a very large dog who does not like being cooped up in this room, but uh, it keeps the cats out so we can have a peaceful recording. Actually, I'm having some excitement coming up. I may or may not have purchased a new car, which I will tell you about next week, I think. Uh, it was going to be shipped from New Jersey, so at least this time it's coming from the same coast that I am on. How about you? How are things on your side of the world? Things are exciting. Uh, we're having a good time here. Uh, I took a drive with my wife up to uh, San Luis Obispo, visited my daughter at college. We had a good time doing that. Uh, a quick turnaround trip, uh, 400 miles total or something like that, maybe 500 miles. So a uh, nice time to uh, test drive some vehicles. So good stuff. Chris, of course, lives at one end of the country. I live at the other. Each week we get together to talk about cars, the car industry, and how to get the most uh, for the money you spend on cars. And we review a couple of vehicles. And you have a very cool vehicle. I mean, very exciting vehicle, I think, this time around, Chris. I do. I drove the F-150 uh, Raptor R, the Ford F-150 Raptor R. It's a, a very exciting pickup truck, so I can't wait to uh, tell you all about it. Yeah, well, I can't wait to hear about it. It's not just a Raptor. It's a Raptor R. So cool stuff. I had a vehicle. I, I'll tell you, I like this vehicle a ton. Uh, I don't want to spoil the review, but... You know, there's maybe some things not to like about it, but there's plenty to like about it. It's the 2023 Genesis Electrified G70 All-Wheel all -wheel Drive Prestige. A mouthful for me, not quite uh, getting my mouth around that, but it is a luxury crossover with some performance chops. and I liked it a bunch. I had it, tested it right here around home, and I'll have a detailed report. We also have a really fascinating guest for you. Jonathan Chen is a senior product expert at VinFast. VinFast, of course, is the Vietnam-based automaker that is just entering the U.S. market. We recently got a chance to drive the VinFast VF8 battery electric crossover. Kind of, in some ways, competitive with the uh, Genesis I was driving uh, this past week or so. We'll discuss that. We'll discuss VinFast plans for entering the U.S. market. They're entering in California first, California and Canada 
which of course is not part of the U.S. I, I realize that. Don't, don't uh, email me and say, well, Canada isn't part of the U.S. It's a, a, their North American launch. Then they will spread out across America. So we'll talk about that. Before we do anything else, though, let's bring you some of the most important news from around the world. And Mid-sized truck uh, mania here. <laughs> what do you think, Chris? I mean, so many all-new mid-sized trucks after, geez, sometimes decades <laughs> without one. Uh, the, the, the latest is the Toyota Tacoma. Uh, what's your reaction? Look, we talked about this before. I think even on the last show, you know, mid-sized trucks are the sweet spot for a lot of people. Uh, I think they get a lot done. And the newer ones that are coming out, the ones that you just mentioned, I mean, like, what a fantastic year to be shopping for a mid-sized pickup truck. I mean, the new Ford uh, Ranger, the Chevrolet Colorado, the GMC Canyon, and now the Toyota Tundra, or Tacoma, excuse me, uh, competing with the also recently re, uh, refreshed Nissan Frontier, which I always forget. Um, so it's a very exciting year. You didn't forget it this time. Good for you. And it, it's certainly a vehicle to consider. I like it a lot. Toyota Tacoma, I think after the Frontier launched it as a new one, became the oldest vehicle in the market by a lot. I think it was introduced something like 2008 or, you know, was where the platform started. I mean, talk about long in the tooth. I mean, it's, it's really up there. Uh, but now a bunch of different things. And this is kind of exciting to me and, and something unexpected uh, to me anyway, this Trail Hunter edition, kind of a Competitor to the Colorado ZR2 and the Canyon AT4X, you know, Ranger Raptor. What's your reaction as a Toyota fan to a Toyota high-performance uh, off-road truck? I think it's about time, although they've had the TRD trims for several years now. But I think it's interesting that Toyota took it to like this overlanding direction. Like we want you to use it for camping and, and everything else. You know, the Raptor is just a, it's a desert dune bashing pickup truck. Everything you see is it's jumping over something. Um, and I don't think that the uh, Trail Hunter is going to be like that, even though it does have quite a few very robust off-roading parts. Yeah. Well, a lot of different uh, powertrains in the new Tacoma. I don't want to get into heavy details on this. They, they launched it in on the big island of Hawaii. Uh, we unfortunately weren't there to, to see the launch, but uh, we got details on it. Two different four-wheel drive systems, a bunch of different engines, I think a a hybrid engine, uh, hybrid powertrain with a 2.7 liter gasoline engine and a uh, about 326 horsepower total and a ton of torque. So that should be an interesting uh, version of this 278 uh, horsepower iForce engine as well. So certainly this was a vehicle in need of update. I, I think you had identified <laughs> a lot of things that maybe were shortfalls uh, compared to the more modern trucks here. So uh, I think they're doing the right thing, right? I agree. From what I can see, obviously none of us have driven it yet, but from what I can see, it looks like they've addressed all the things that, that we and every every other journalist and owner has ticked off over the last few years. Yeah. You know, a lot of safety stuff. Um, I, I'm really uh, excited to drive this thing. I will probably go to the U.S. launch. I uh, Certainly Hawaii is, is in the U.S. I understand that too. I understand that Canada is not, but Hawaii is part of the United States. Um, but when we get a chance to drive it, we will give you a full report. Well, we also are giving you this full report on this latest survey from KPMG, their Consumer Pulse Survey. And they found that a lot of people want to buy electrified vehicles, either a hybrid or a full electric vehicle. Most consumers are considering a switch to that. At least they're, they're willing to consider it. Uh, by most, that means over 50% are. Uh, but there's one big hang-up, and I bet you can guess what it is, Chris. Uh, 
you're nodding, so uh, I think you're going to tell me what it is. And uh, The purchase price. Yeah, purchase price. Winner, winner, winner. Uh, chicken dinner for uh, Chris Teague. A lot of people... Uh, we're, we're seeing a dichotomy here. Uh, people who make $100,000 or more a year, their household income and something like that, they're much more likely to have an electric vehicle or even a hybrid vehicle than people whose incomes is... Um, whose incomes are below $100,000, kind of makes sense because uh, the premium on electric vehicles. If we're going to see widespread adoption of electric vehicles, we've got to see more affordable electric vehicles. And and I, I just don't see us seeing them come to the market right now. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, we've heard promises. Well, we've heard Tesla say it for several years. Now we're hearing, we're hearing GM saying, yeah, the $30,000 electric crossover is coming this year with the uh, electrified uh, vehicles that they've got coming. So I hope they're able to pull it off. As you mentioned, you know, price is a huge sticking point. The people say, well, you don't buy a car on price, but a lot of people do. So uh, I think that's going to be a major hurdle to clear before any widespread adoption can be even a fantasy in someone in somebody's, you know, in some of these scenarios. Yeah. I, I wonder if we're chasing too much range, right? I mean, because range is certainly the enemy of low price. And if you're looking at vehicles with something like 300 or 300 plus miles of range, you're looking at vehicles that are well over $50,000. I don't, I don't know of one that's under that or you know close to that. Um, maybe that's too much for some of these folks. I agree. You know, I think a lot of people could get away with a lot less than that. There's this sort of anxiety of, of range anxiety. You know, that's a big thing. Um, but I think charging times are just as important as range, and a lot of people forget to look at that. So uh, hopefully that becomes a focus uh, going forward. Yeah, and I think if you're using a vehicle, say for around town driving, if you have multiple vehicles in your household, and one is basically used to commute back and forth to work or you know take kids to school or get groceries or whatever, I mean, that could be electric and have 150 miles of range. You charge up at home, and uh, you're just rocking and rolling, and there's nothing wrong with that. So something to look at going forward. Well, here's something that uh, always gets uh, car journalists excited. That is a uh, touring coupe that looks like a station wagon, you know, kind of a high-performance station wagon. For some reason, we auto journalists just seem to love station wagons with performance things. This is from BMW, their touring coupe concept. They're thinking of making this a production vehicle, short-run production vehicle. What's your quick reaction to that, Chris? Well, I do fit into that category. I think it looks fantastic, and I wish I could afford one. Yeah. Well, I love them too, and I, I just I, maybe to get your uh, journalist card, you need to have that. Uh, also, Stellantis is recalling about two hundred thousand Jeep Cherokee SUVs for fire risks. If you have one of these and uh, have a power lift gate, well, something could catch fire. So don't park it inside your garage. Park it outside until you've got that thing fixed, and and head off and get that thing fixed. We recommend that uh, quite highly. So that's that's the quick report on the Stellantis fire risk. And uh, when we come back, we will be testing two really cool vehicles. I can't wait to hear what Chris has to say about the Ford Raptor R, uh, the F-150 Raptor R. So stay with us for that. And I was driving the Genesis Electrified GV70. So hot tickets. Stay with us and we'll be right back. Welcome back to America on the Road with Christy Jackie Redback. We're just so glad you're with us on America on the Road. And it is road test time, and not only road test time, but uh, maybe off-road test time, too, because you had the Ford F-150 uh, Raptor R. Tell us about that, Chris. Yeah, you know, we when I first moved into the house, we had the Ram TRX, and I told you how ridiculous it was to try to move, use that vehicle as a, a moving truck. 
this week we were building some stuff in our woods, uh, a path down to the river, and I took the Raptor R to F1 to Home Depot. And I got to tell you, it is every bit as ridiculous trying to move stuff in this truck as it was with the TRX. Maybe more so because we were lifting things in uh, by hand. But I have to tell you, my test truck came in at just shy of $120,000 with all the options. This truck is not cheap to start. Uh, the regular Raptor is also not cheap, but this one is $30,000 more expensive uh, as an option to add on to that. Uh, but you get a lot for your money, Jack. You get a 5.2 liter V8 with a supercharger, makes 700 horsepower and 640 pound-feet of torque, sends that power to all four wheels through a 10-speed automatic transmission. And this truck had the 37-inch tires, which make it feel like a monster truck. Have you been able to drive the uh, Raptor R yet, Jack? I have not. I, I think I drove the Raptor version, but I haven't gone up to the... I, I guess I couldn't come up with the extra 30K. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Yeah, and I will tell you, so this truck is dramatic from the price tag every step of the way. So um, on startup, this, the, the inside of my house rattles when we start this truck up. My neighbor actually sent me a text the other day and said that he was thankful that I don't own the truck full time because uh, it, it's definitely uh, a wake-up call for everyone within earshot of, of opening it. But So you've got the big V8, you've got a supercharger, you've got four-wheel drive, and you've got a massive off-road suspension system in this truck. I really do think that it is as capable as they claim it to be. You've seen videos of these trucks flying over things in the desert, um, and it really does perform that way. I took it over uh, to the fairgrounds and ran through some mudded fields, and i got to tell you, Jack, even the biggest ruts in the field feel just like, like you're driving straight over grass in this thing. It's not... It feels unstoppable, almost completely unstoppable. But on top of that, you've got the full F-150 experience to go with all the off-road capability. It's still a spacious truck inside. It's a crew cab with a short bed. Uh, so you've got seating for five people. You've got a luxurious interior. It has suede leather, heated and ventilated seats. There were no massaging seats here, which I assume uh, people can probably get around that just by going off-road. You get your own massaging, bumping around in the seat. Um, the larger of the two infotainment screens, it's uh, running Sync 4. It's got wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. And this truck was equipped top to bottom with all the safety equipment, so blind spot monitoring, forward, forward collision alerts, all the things that you would expect in your family Accord or family Camry sedan uh, you've got here in this you know sort of trail-bashing off-road pickup truck. I got to tell you, Jack, I think the price here is a little bit sticky. Uh, the sticking point for me, obviously, is a $100,000 pickup truck. I think the size here is another issue. So... I often talk about how the F-150 feels like it shrinks around you as you drive it. This truck does not do that. <laughs> this truck lets you know how large and how wide it is at all times. And the 37-inch tires are a big part of that. So the turning the turning radius is a little uh, wide, and it feels kind of hard to center in your lane. But, man, what a fantastic uh, off-road capability, and, and that sound is something else. So I think if you can live with the price and some of the trade-offs, this is definitely an entertaining pickup truck to live with on a daily basis. Couple of questions for you, Chris. I mean, what was the on-road ride and handling like? It's almost like uh, you know, it's very, very smooth. I have to say. So it's surprising how well this thing chews up bumps and potholes in the road, and a lot of that's down to the tires too. I, I will admit that, but it's surprisingly smooth. Mm -hmm. And how about loading this thing? I mean, as tall as this thing is, <laughs> I think getting stuff into the bed might be an issue at sometimes. Yeah, I took it yesterday, like I said, to Home Depot to load 50-pound bag, 50 bags of mulch and soil into the truck. And I don't consider myself to be a bodybuilder, but I'm strong enough to pick those bags up. And I have to tell you, uh, it felt I've started to feel a little weak after the second one, lifting them up over my shoulders uh, to get into the truck bed. So something to think about if you're, if you're using it as a daily sort of everyday pickup truck. Yeah. Well, specialized thing, very cool. I mean, you certainly have bragging rights among all F-150 owners across the world. Uh, when you have that F-150 Raptor R. 
But uh, as, as always, there are trade-offs, aren't there? I agree. Well, I was driving a vehicle that I frankly like a, a ton. It is the Genesis Electrified GV70. I've, I've liked the GV70 as their crossover kind of midsize, I guess, or a compact uh, crossover utility. Uh, I like the gasoline-powered version, but the electrified version, if anything, I like it even more, uh, which in some ways is a surprise to me. It has all the goodness of the GV70, which is a, a really upscale interior. The driving demeanor is terrific, good ride quality, and yet sporting ambitions. And then you throw in uh, electric drive, and I think you've got something pretty special here. Just good stuff all the way around. Maybe, again, the sticking point, you know, <laughs> apropos the survey that we talked about in the previous segment, is the price. Uh, pricing starts out at about 65000 almost $66,000, and then there's a freight charge. So, as you're getting into this, you're spending probably close to seventy thousand just to just for the price of entry. You do get a ton of stuff. I mean, uh, you have an electronic uh, adaptive suspension, twenty-inch alloy wheels, panoramic pan, panoramic sunroof, hands-free liftgate. Happily, I don't think it catches fire as some others might. Uh, power folding outside mirrors, leather seating, all that kind of stuff. Great, you know, great, well well-equipped stuff. 14.5-inch touchscreen, so you have this massive uh, you know, horizontal touchscreen that I like. And 8-inch uh, digital gauge cluster. Maybe that's not quite as good, but it's pretty darn good. I mean, this is a full-featured vehicle. If you want to spring for another $7,000 or so, you can uh, go up to uh, even uh, nicer leather seating, Napa leather seating, and a larger digital gauge cluster that goes up to 12.3 inches. So head-up display. I I like a head-up display, too. Although sometimes, I, I, I don't know whether you do this or not, Chris, sometimes I forget to look at the head-up display, which it, it seems weird, right? Because it's right in front of you, but I, you know, I keep looking down at the dash to see how fast I'm going. And I, how, Do you do that? Yeah, if you don't have one in your car every day, I, I tend to look past it. My wife thinks they're distracting. I actually really like them, but yeah, it's hard for me to remember that it's there for some vehicles. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, plenty of horsepower in this thing, 429 horsepower and tons of torque. I mean, 516 pound-feet of torque. That's a lot more than in the uh, conventional powered vehicle. Maybe that's why I like it so much. Reasonable range. I'm not sure that, you know, a lot of people want range that starts with the number three. This starts with the number two, 238 miles of electric range. Pretty good number, but uh, I guess competitive uh, with the other uh, electric luxuries out there, like the EQB for Mercedes-Benz and the Volvo XC60. Nothing particular to write home about there. Again, that's kind of on the edge for me. And I think a lot of people, I, I was talking to Ed Kim, who is an analyst for Auto Pacific, uh, recently at the Electrify Expo. And we he talked about 300 miles as being the, maybe the kind of low end or the right range for things. Uh, what's your take on range? Yeah, I think uh, we said earlier, I think a lot of people get hung up on the range number uh, and they don't actually need that amount. You know, you don't, all, a lot of us don't drive 300 miles a day. I mean, you and I drive professionally a lot of the time and I still have trouble to put 300 miles on a car uh, before I stop at times. So I don't know, I think 300 is a good floor, but I think, you know, wanting more than that is you really need to sit down and evaluate your driving. Right. Well, this is a terrific car to drive. I mean, plenty of horsepower. Talk about silky smooth. Of course, there's no gears to change. So you just, you know, use all that power and torque, just more, you know, you push down on the accelerator, more power, more power, more power, more power. Great kind of stuff. It has the handling to uh, 
to deal with that. And this is one, one electric where I don't feel like the batteries kind of overpower me as I'm cornering. I, I, I felt pretty good about the cornering. I think it corners more like a conventional uh, gasoline-powered car. And uh, frankly, I like that feel as opposed to trying to, to balance battery weights doing centrifugal force around a corner. Uh, you have any thoughts on that? No, I do like the battery, the handling of the battery, and the or the handling with the battery. Geez, I keep talking, <laughs> can't talk right. Um, but I think they've done a great job balancing that. Where some, you know, the ride quality is too rough. So I think they've done a good job. Yeah. So this is a terrific car. Again, uh, I don't know whether you want to spring for that added premium, which is a lot of money. I think uh, all said and done, at least ten thousand dollars more. This is a luxury vehicle, though, and uh, if you want a luxury vehicle, I I think it's top notch in the class. I, I really am hard pressed to think that any of the others they're they're good vehicles, but are better than the uh, 2023 Genesis Electrified GV70. I think it's just a winner. I think I agree. Done a nice job. So there you go with that. Uh, we have a fascinating guest for you. Jonathan Chen is a senior product expert at VinFast. That, of course, is a Vietnam-based automaker that is entering the U.S. market uh, via California. And California is still part of the United States. We got a chance to drive the VF8 battery electric crossover recently. We're going to talk with him about that, talk with him about what the company is doing because they have an interesting launch strategy and, of course, very interesting vehicles. So uh, stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Nierad with you. We're happy you're with us. And stay with us through the break. We'll have Jonathan Chen next. I got this letter from a reader the other day, and I thought I'd share it with you. I'm on vacation on the beach in Key Biscayne and just finished reading Dance in the Dark. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Great plot and twists I never saw coming. You're really good at creating visual images. Congrats, you made my vacation all that more enjoyable. This is just the kind of feedback an author loves to hear. I'm Jack Nierad, host of America on the Road and the author of Dance in the Dark, a crime novel inspired by true crime. Many have told me that Dance in the Dark has all the realism of fatal photographs, my true crime account of the famous bathing suit model murder case. That's great to hear because Dance in the Dark is filled with suspense, plot twists, and surprises. But at the same time, it's a believable story in the tradition of writers like James M. Cain, Jim Thompson, and Elroy Leonard. I'm not saying it did happen, but it could have. Dance in the Dark is available in paperback and Kindle ebook form from Amazon.com. And it's available direct from the publisher EMLancy.com as well. If you have a chance, please look for it. If it makes your vacation better, we'll both be happy. That's Dance in the Dark by Jack Arnie Red at Amazon.com or emlancy.com. Thanks for giving it a look. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Red with you. And we're at a really interesting place driving a really interesting vehicle and talking about a bunch of interesting vehicles with a product expert on those. Jonathan Chen, thanks so much for being with us. We do appreciate it. VinFast is introducing vehicles to the United States and uh, we had a chance to drive one of them today, the uh, sport utility vehicle, all electric, of course, and uh, let's talk about it. Let's, let's talk about VinFast first because I think that's important. This is a new name to a lot of people. Tell us about the brand. Yeah, of course. Uh, it's great to be here. Uh, VinFast is owned by a large Vietnamese conglomerate called Vin Group. Uh, within Vin Group, there are quite a few sister companies and um, 
Vin Fast being the automotive division. We have Vin ES, the battery team that sits um, within that, that group. Uh, over on trade and services, there's Vin Com, Vin Homes um, that are doing real estate uh, throughout, throughout the country, Vietnam specifically. Uh, Vin Pearl is our luxury resorts. And then there's a um, separate team that, uh, or a group of companies that are um, nonprofit. Vin Ka, excuse me, Vin Mech, which is the hospitals, um, Vin Uni, uh, Vin Schools, um, all in the name of uh, creating a better world uh, for for people. Yeah, for people and for Vietnamese people specifically. Uh, a, a lot of the time, I mean, it's a mammoth company. I guess it's the largest company in Vietnam. A market cap of something like twenty-one billion dollars. So, uh, you know, this is a, a company with major, major resources, but fairly new to the car business. D describe uh, Vinfast as a as a portion of this business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, founded in twenty seventeen, uh, and it's been a rapid rise. Um, fast is in the name, and we do things swiftly, quickly, uh, and as precise as we as we can. Um, the uh, manufacturing plant in Haiphong uh, was built in um, record time, um, produced our first vehicle on the road in 2018, um, and then quickly 2019, 2020, advanced from um, producing ICE vehicles to exclusively EVs. Okay, um, and then launching quite a few different lines. I mean, that's uh, a pretty vehicle. quick transition right there, right? To go yeah. from internal combustion engine vehicles to electric vehicles. But seeing the future, I guess the company decided that's where the future lie, right? Absolutely. Um, and taking something from conception to reality and actually delivering it to customers. Um, we've been delivering cars in Vietnam um, for quite a few years now. Um, I forgot to mention VinBus is part of the nonprofit division um, and uh, VIN buses are on city streets. Uh, we have contracts with a um, few of the city, city governments uh, in, in the area. So um, Meteoric Rise, um, we're excited to launch globally here, obviously um, in the US, Canada, and Europe. And you're kind of just now introducing in North America, correct? Or have introduced in the last several months, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Um, we have the VF8 City Edition um, that uh, was shipped over late last year. We're starting deliveries to, to customers. Uh, the VF8 Standard Edition, uh, which has a longer range battery pack, uh, is actually uh, at the port as we speak now um, and will be in the hands of customers uh, later this month uh, for the U.S. Um, customers and then Canadian customers will happen in June. Yeah. So this is a, a company with significant production capacity and you're adding capacity uh, in the United States and that's exciting too. Talk about that a little bit, would you? That's right, that's right. Um, so I mentioned the, the plant in Haiphong um, with uh, 250,000 plus um, capacity or volume, you could Why, say. Why, could it expand almost to a million, I think 900,000 or something Absolutely. like that. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Large, large footprint. Um, we actually have an e-scooter business um, and production is actually out of that plant as well. Um, I believe up to around 500,000 uh, units per year. Um, moving over to the uh, North Carolina uh, manufacturing plant that is up and coming um, will be uh, in production, in operation, uh, hopefully in 2025. Fingers crossed. Um, there are obviously a lot of uh, logistics and approvals that, that have to happen, um, but that is on 
the roadmap of um, 2025. Yeah, and that will have a production capacity of, I think, 150,000 initially, something like that. So, yep. I mean, that's ambitious goals in the American market. You're kind of launching in an interesting way in North America, I think, uh, launching first in the state of California. Talk about that, would you? Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, when you think about EV adoption um, and, and the customers that we're trying to target, uh, California, um, I like to think is is a couple years ahead of, um, you know, um, diff different parts of the country, if you will, uh, especially when it comes to EV adoption, solar adoption, et cetera. So uh, we felt like California was the right, right place to start. Um, we have uh, 20 plus stores um, that will be opening here by the end of 2023 um, and then 10 plus uh, in Canada uh, by the end of 2023. Right. And some are, uh, will be more like traditional dealerships, I guess, and some will be in mall locations that are essentially kind of showcase for the vehicles. Talk about that. Yeah, so our, our uh, model is DTC. Um, we've built- Direct to consumer, correct. I think is what you mean. <laughs> yeah, direct to consumer. Um, we have showrooms uh, that are typically in malls, um, so high traffic areas. And then we also have um, service centers that'll be attached to some of our showrooms. And those will be freestanding, um, and those will be uh, strategically placed uh, currently throughout California, but uh, over time, I'm sure um, we have plans to open uh, nationally. Yeah, makes sense. And if you have a plant on essentially on the East Coast in, in Carolina, you're probably going right. to go national. It makes sense That's to do right. that. Let's talk about the product. You're going to have several products, but the, pr the product I drove today, the vehicle I drove today, VF8, I guess, City Edition. Uh, yes. Give our listeners and, and viewers the, the high points on that yeah. vehicle. Um, we're really proud of this product. Um, exterior and interior design by um, Pinafrina. Uh, I should say in collaboration with Pinafrina. Um, Tech-packed um, ADAS features. Currently is level two. Um, available and uh, we've teamed up with industry leading players in this space to make sure that we're moving um, towards higher levels of autonomy. Right. Uh, so by ADAS, you're talking about advanced driver assistance. That's right. That's systems. right. That's right. right. Yeah. Um, the vehicle you drove today uh, is the City Edition Plus trim. And the only difference is that I would call, I would call out between the City Edition and the standard is going to be the battery pack. Um, the City uh, produced by uh, our supplier Samsung the standard edition is by Cattle, C-A-T-L, okay. mm -hmm. and um, it's an 87.7 kilowatt hour battery pack in the standard, then the 82 in the city. Um, so a little higher density, um, therefore the additional range. Um, power output, um, the all-wheel drive powertrain, uh, we think it's quite, quite competitive in the market. You can take a look at some of those stats um, as far as horsepower, and, uh, What's max storage power? It's uh, in the 400 uh, range. That's right. Yeah. Low 400s. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And a lot of torque and a lot of immediate torque. They're all all-wheel drive, which is an advantage, I think. Absolutely. No front-wheel drive off offerings. What kind of range? And tell us about charging because that's becoming more important. How quickly it can charge? Yeah. So range-wise, um, our city edition is um, just about 200 miles. Again, I, I would. Um, you know, challenge your listeners to take a look at our website. Uh, a lot of those details, those specifications are, are gonna be listed um, out there. From a charging standpoint, you can go 10 to 70% in about 24 minutes on the city edition. Uh, I think closer to 30 on the standard edition. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think we've done a lot of user research, a lot of studies. Um, you know, obviously being a new entrant into the market, we want to make sure we've built something uh, that's high quality, um, that has inclusive pricing, um, and offers a great after-sales service. Uh, in fact, those are our three three pillars um, that uh, the whole company re really marches towards. Again, great products, inclusive pricing um, to ensure that we're, we're very competitive. So do you consider yourself a premium brand? Is VinFast a, a premium brand? Do you feel like you compete with the other premium brands, Mercedes-Benz, BMW, Lexus, et cetera, et cetera? That, that's, the, that's the vision? Yeah, that's the vision. Um, you know, uh, obviously inclusive pricing is a core pillar of ours. Um, it, may, it means that we need to be uh, diverse in price ranges that we offer. So in addition to the VF8, uh, we have smaller vehicles, the VF6 and 7, that'll be coming to the US, Canada, and European markets um, very, very soon. Um, those will be um, highly competitive in terms of pricing, um, horsepower, range, all of those things, I think, um, when we release those official specs, yeah. uh, will be pretty You've pretty priced, exciting. though, the, the VF8 that we've uh, driven. What's the general pricing on that? There's yeah. two levels of that, I think. That's right. right. The VF8 City, um, the lease is around uh, 414. Um, the plus um, edition, excuse me, VF8 City Edition Eco is 414. The VF8 City Edition Plus um, with additional um, package features, upgraded wheels, et cetera, um, is gonna be 530. Um, but again, please take a look at our website um, on those latest, latest figures. Terrific. So VinFast yeah. is the brand and various vehicles coming soon, California first and then the rest of the country. Uh, Jonathan Chen, thanks so much for being with us. We do, really do appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And thanks so much for being with us here on America on the Road. Stay with us for more. We'll be right back. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris T. Jack and Red back with you. And it's our final segment of the day. I, the time just goes so rapidly when I'm talking with Chris about cars. I have a great time doing it. I hope you have a great time listening. And thanks so much for listening to America on the Road. We really do appreciate it. This is our, our listener question segment of the show where we take questions from people who are listening across the country. We appreciate you listening and uh, asking intelligent questions. We have a very intelligent audience, obviously, because uh, we get good questions. And uh, it's easy to get us questions. Send them to editor at drivingtoday.com, editor at drivingtoday.com, and uh, we'll answer your question on an upcoming show. Here's a question from Pat in Austin, Texas. I hear cars described as having gasoline engines, but I never hear an electric vehicle as having an electric engine. Instead, they are always called electric motors. Why is this? What is the difference between a motor and an engine? There's se several definitions for that, right, Chris? There are, Jack. I'm actually going to have to let you take this one because I want to hear your expertise. <laughs> well, uh, I, I think I have a reasonable expertise on this. One definition is a motor generates, uh, actually does not generate its, its own power. It needs to have power supplied to it. Uh, thus, electricity goes into electric motor and then the electric motor works. Within a, an engine like a gasoline engine, it's basically creating power within the engine. So it's kind of performing the generating function of generating electricity. In this case, it's not generating electricity, but it's generating power and, power and torque in a different way uh, from the use of fuel. And then it is uh, and immediately providing it to the vehicle. So that's, that's a definition there, thereof. And that's why 
You know, people use the term motor to describe engines. I mean, you hear people describe, uh, one guy I, I know, uh, Leon Kaplan is the motor man, uh, a guy who's been doing uh, automotive radio forever and ever and ever. And uh, he actually talks much more about engines than he ever talks about motors. But uh, I get that. But uh, I think technically it's a gasoline engine, an internal combustion engine, or ICE, and then an electric motor because the power is coming from elsewhere. That makes sense. I feel educated. Yeah. Well, good. And I think it's a, an interesting question because you you know, you know, you hear what Pat is hearing all the time, but I don't think people have the explanation of that. So, uh, And some people misspeak and say this has an electric engine, but I almost never see that. Sometimes they, they do say it has a gas motor. And in the colloquial sense, I guess it's okay, but uh, it's not technically correct. All right. And I'm sure engineers listening to the program have a much better definition than I have, and I'd love to hear that. So put it out there. But, uh, you know, that's from the uh, 35,000-foot level, the difference between a motor and an engine. So let's take this question from Daniel in Las Vegas. And uh, this, all, this deals with electric vehicles, with electric motors, not electric engines. I'm thinking of buying a used electric vehicle, but a lot of my friends say I'd be crazy to do that. I wonder who he hangs out with. <laughs> uh, they've got their opinions. I'm not sure I understand the reasons they give me, but Daniel doesn't give us those reasons, so we can come up with reasons of our own. Do you agree with them, I think, on the larger issue, and can you help me understand this? Yes, we can. Can't we, Chris? Yeah, I don't think I agree with them on not buying a used electric vehicle. I think some people have a, a misconception that electric vehicles wear out faster than gas vehicles or the battery stops charging after a certain number of miles. And that's true, but the number of miles and the time from purchase until that actually happens is several years and maybe hundreds of thousands of miles. So I think that there's really, you know, it's a case-by-case -case basis, but there's no reason not to buy a used electric car unless you just absolutely have to have the full brand new electric vehicle uh, tax credit. So uh, I think that would be my only concern is, right, the, the tax credits there, Jack. What do you think about that? I think that's one major issue, you know, one major thing that's standing against used vehicles. And, and basically that uh, kind of ipso facto lowers the, the value and lowers the price of used vehicles. So maybe they become more of a bargain uh, as a used vehicle because you have to deal with that $7,500 tax credit that uh, – essentially is going to lower the, the real transaction price of the new vehicle. And the price of a new vehicle has a d very direct effect on the price of used vehicles that are comparable. So I might say, well, you know, if you're going to buy a two or three year old used electric vehicle, and maybe that's a sweet spot or maybe it isn't, depending on how you look at it, it's probably a sweet spot in terms of uh, battery life, uh, but not necessarily in terms of price. You've got to be very careful about the price. Because you could buy a, a brand new one, get a $7,500 tax credit, and, and maybe that's even cheaper, uh, depending on the, the arbitrage there or what, what's, whatever is going on. Uh, but like you, Chris, I think that there are bargains in used electric vehicles. And again, it depends on use. We talked about this, I think, in an earlier segment. Depending on how you're using that electric vehicle, you might be fine with an electric vehicle that has... I don't know, 100 miles of range or 120 miles of range, you're charging it at home, uh, you're driving it maybe 20 miles a day or, or less or something like that, or you're just using it occasionally for errands and you can, again, charge it at home very economically. That could be a, a big winner for you. So think about that. Yeah, I know at least five people in the past year who have bought very old electric vehicles just to use as an around town commuting machine 
because all they need is a hundred miles or 150 miles of range. So uh, there are definitely plenty of plenty of examples out there that will meet most people's needs. Yeah, I think a lot of vehicles out there. It depends on you know it's getting the the right horse for the course, right? I mean, uh, that's why we have so many uh, different types of vehicles on the market. I mean, not every vehicle is supposed to do the same thing. So why should every vehicle have exactly the same range on electricity? I, I think that's something maybe uh, being missed out there uh, in this quest for 300-mile range, maybe for vehicles where we don't need it. Well, let's take yeah. this question from Louie in Providence, Rhode Island. I've spent some time in Providence, Rhode Island, you know, wandering around that place. And uh, I think it's not too far from where you are too, Chris, right? A few hours, yeah. Yeah. Here's the question. I see a lot of vehicles that are equipped with continuously variable transmissions these days. Then some of them have shift paddles for gear changes. But I thought continuously variable meant they don't have gears. What's going on here? Are we being misled? Well, you're not being misled. It's automakers attempt to try to make this, the CVT as regular transmission-like as possible, right? So they're trying to to make you feel like you have the engaged experience. And there aren't gears, Jack, and you might, might uh, correct me here. This is a continuous gear ratio with a continuously variable transmission rather than stepped gear ratios that you get um, in a normal torque converter uh, transmission. But, you know, Toyota and a few other automakers have done some trickery with the CVT that makes it feel like it has a real first gear before then going into the continuously variable action. But uh, I don't think anybody's pulling the wool over your eyes. I just think they're trying to make the car feel more quote-unquote normal uh, to, to everyday buyers. Yeah, I think that's true. And they're trying to placate us in the enthusiast <laughs> reviewer community who like that kind of stuff and uh, are not big fans of continuously variable transmissions. I think they do a nice job with continuously variable transmissions these days. They don't have the, the hum and thrum that they used to have. Uh, likely, they're fun. Uh, I feel kind of weird about using shift paddles in, in a vehicle that has a continuously variable transmission, but uh, that's just me. And, uh, you know, I'm strange in many ways, not just that one. So tell us about what's going on at yourtestdriver.com this week, Chris. Yeah, we have one week left in the um, Skip Barber Racing School and Team O'Neill Racing Rally School, excuse me, uh, giveaway that we're running. Um, we're running it, like, like I said, through the end of May. Uh, we're, all, all you have to do is go to Instagram and follow the post, or sorry, follow the account comment on the post. I'm having trouble talking today. Uh, and everything's right there. It's very easy. It's free to enter. And uh, we hope to see you there. Yeah, please do that because uh, it's terrific. Yourtestdriver.com. Kind of all one word, yourtestdriver.com. While you're at it, please check out my newest book, Dance in the Dark. It's a crime thriller inspired by my study of true crime. For some reason, I like crime or I like studying crime because people who commit crimes are doing some really stupid stuff most of the time. And it's a kind of uh, amusing to me in many ways and, and tragic in, in many other ways too. So check that out, Dance in the Dark, emlancy.com uh, or on Amazon, of course. If you like the show, if you like America on the Road, please pass it on. Listen to this radio station every week. Tell your friends about it. Let them know that we're available as a podcast. There are various places they can get us as a podcast, can't they, Chris? Yeah, if you head to sportsmapradio.com, we're on the Saturday morning schedule right there. You can find our major platform podcast on like every single outlet that you can get a podcast from. And you can also get a radio formatted version right from the, the site right there. So we hope to see you or hope that you take us with you wherever you go. Yeah, 
please join us. And thanks to the Sports Map Radio uh, Network stations for carrying America on the Road. We appreciate it. And most of all, thanks to you for listening to America on the Road. We love it that you tune in to us every time around, and uh, we appreciate that. If you like the show, well, let other people's know. Uh, let other people's <laughs> other people know about it. And uh, subscribe, of course, and that that helps us out a bunch. So, and join us again next time for another edition of America on the Road. I got this letter from a reader the other day, and I thought I'd share it with you. I'm on vacation on the beach in Key Biscayne, and just finished reading Dance in the Dark. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Great plot and twists I never saw coming. You're really good at creating visual images. Congrats, you made my vacation all that more enjoyable. This is just the kind of feedback an author loves to hear. I'm Jack Nerad, host of America on the Road and the author of Dance in the Dark, a crime novel inspired by true crime. Many have told me that Dance in the Dark has all the realism of fatal photographs, my true crime account of the famous bathing suit model murder case. That's great to hear because Dance in the Dark is filled with suspense, plot twists, and surprises. But at the same time, it's a believable story in the tradition of writers like James M. Cain, Jim Thompson, and Elroy Leonard. Dance in the Dark is available in paperback and Kindle ebook form from Amazon.com. And it's available direct from the publisher EMLancy.com as well. If you have a chance, please look for it. If it makes your vacation better, we'll both be happy. That's Dance in the Dark by Jack Arney Red at Amazon.com or EMLancy.com. Thanks for giving it a look.